Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded NFL Sunday ticket this season. If you live in an apartment or are an enrolled college student, now you can get NFL Sunday ticket without a satellite. To see if you are eligible, go online right now to NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code RINGER, R-I-N-G-R, at checkout to save 15%. Welcome to GM Street. I am Tate Frazier, and sitting across from me, Mr. Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I am great, great. Another taping show here. It's pretty good. I know. In we the got, studio? Yeah, we got a studio lights around I know it's not going to be this. on video, but it's pretty nice. It's nice to do it. I feel like a little bit like we're in the Larry King atmosphere. You, you're too young for Larry oh, King? Oh, of course. I remember Larry King. Well, if you don't remember him, you can always just go over to that <laughs> Nate Niles Deli and see him every day in there if you want. Oh, really? No, he's, he's around? There. Every day eating breakfast in there. Not that I go there, but I mean, I've seen him every time I've been there. Yeah, I saw Larry King one time in Los Angeles, and uh, my uncle was out here at the time when it happened, and he freaked out. It was like the biggest celebrity he'd ever seen. Larry King, uh, since this is going to be a little bit of an Al Davis story, Larry King and Al Davis were best friends, right? Wow, I did not know that. They go back to Brooklyn together, best friends, and Larry King's wife's had a had a brother who was a football player at BYU. Okay. So there's a like there's a big gap and we had to carry that player on our our practice squad. Can we not say his name? We don't want I'm not going to say okay. it. Like and I don't want to but yeah. he wasn't really an NFL quality player, but the power of Larry and Al together, we carried him for 2 years on practice. It drove Gruden crazy. Drove him absolutely insane. <laughs> like and he was a scout team quarterback and he wasn't even very good at that. So but uh, it just shows you how close the relationships are. You got to know somebody. It's yeah. like Hollywood. You got to know somebody to get yeah. into business. And it's the dream job to be a backup quarterback and or like a scout team quarterback. Scout team quarterback. Yeah. You walk just around town, up. you tell everybody, hey, I'm a, you know. Yeah, and you're like an actor. You're like, I'm playing Cam Newton this week. And exactly. Like, That's very cool. Exactly. Um, and speaking of Al Davis, we're, we're going to jump in this week. We're going to do blue chip yeah. coaches. This has been something that's promised by you, Lombardi. This is what all the people have been waiting yeah. for. Um, we just want to go and give a little background to how this whole process right. came about. And it all started with your man, Al Davis. Right. So, you know, and I'm working for the Raiders and Al has historically loved players. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be ask a thousand people around the NFL. Al was never really didn't want to pay a lot of coaches. He did. He thought coaching was he could handle a lot of it. Yeah. And so managing of egos. Right. And so what happened to Al is I think you have to really kind of understand it. It's a little bit like since we're in Hollywood, we can explain it in Paramount's down the street. Mm. So there was a period in Hollywood where Robert Evans, you ever see that Robert Evans character? Mm-hmm. He's in entourage. The, the, the they based the, that studio producer on Robert Evans, oh, character. kind of an eccentric yeah, 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 guy yeah. lives in this big house. Okay. When he ran Paramount, he thought since he couldn't afford actors, he thought the best thing he could do was buy books. Hmm. And then turn books into movies, which he did. He bought Love Story. He bought The Godfather. And all of a sudden, he took Paramount and made it much better. The point of the story is he bought writers and let the actors go. When Al was first doing his thing in the NFL, the players mattered the most. Mm-hmm. Coaches didn't. It was one scheme. It was you know man-to-man. It was two backs in the backfield. The quarterback called the plays at the line of scrimmage. The defensive, the Mike linebacker called the defenses. The game was really simple. But when video came into, into play and we went from 16 millimeter tape to video, mm-hmm. everything started to change. Game became very more complicated. Yep. Okay. And Al wasn't going to go into that complication. He wanted the game to be as simple as it possibly could. He's so, he was unlike Bob Evans. He wasn't going to go down that road. He wasn't going to go there. So my theory was that I thought if you, if you looked at the coaching pool in the NFL, there was teams that had similar talent, but for some reason they were winning all the time. So I went over to Cal and I spent the day with this Cal professor in statistics. And he said, look, if you take the top five coaches 
of the positions that you think matter. Mm-hmm. Okay, head coach, offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, special teams, O-line and D-line. You take those positions and you rank the coaches. You can't rank them 1 to 32. You rank them in clusters of 5 or 6 and then give a point system. So you add up your point totals for your coaches. So, for example, when when I was at the Raiders, we had maybe perhaps uh, one time we didn't have a very good head coach. Say his say his staff point total was a hundred. Was and it Lane Kiffin? But he could have been okay. It could have been him. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Sorry, Lane. It could have been Archell. It could have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, so I say our point total was a hundred. Mm-hmm. All right, and then we're getting ready to go play New England in, in a game, and New England's point total for their staff is thirty. Yep. The difference between the player pool couldn't make up the 70 points of difference. Do you follow me now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the gap between the coaches was so wide that the talent had a, couldn't make up for it. When Al was watching players and he was doing his thing in the 60s and the 70s and those great Raider teams, there wasn't that differentiation. Everybody was running basic schemes. Everybody was doing so. The coaching pool didn't really matter. Yeah, you might have Vince Lombardi. You might have Tom Landry. You might have John Madden. But the coaching pool really didn't separate itself like it did now. And that's how I came up with the project. So basically, John Madden made all of his money off these guys. He, he didn't do much. He just sat around. And, well, you um, know, the game was no. And John, I'm kidding, Madden I, I think family. That, Please don't think, take me out. I think what, you know, John knew football. He was a linebacker coach. He motivated the team. He, he did his role for the time, and mm. he did it really well. I'm not minimizing anything that the coaches did back then because obviously we named the Lombardi Trophy after Vince Lombardi. But when you break the game down today to what it was a years ago, way more complicated, way more complicated. Just like when Johnny Unitas came to the line of scrimmage back in the 60s, he saw one coverage. Mm-hmm. Okay, when Brett, he pointed out the mic and knew what he was going to do, he didn't have to point out the mic. The protection didn't matter. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the offensive linemen couldn't extend their arms out. They couldn't. They couldn't ever right. do this. Yeah. So, you know, do you realize Bart Starr got sacked like nine times in the in the ice bowl? You're way too young for this. So he sacked. Could you imagine what talk radio would have done to Vince Lombardi after Bart Starr got sacked nine times in the ice bowl? Oh, my God. Lombardi doesn't know protections. He can't protect poor Bart Starr. The offensive line, they had Forrest Gregg, who's in the Hall of Fame. They had Jerry Kramer, who potentially could be in the Hall of Fame. And they got sacked nine times because the rules didn't let you. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is this the age of video. The video changed the game because now we could study the tape. When I first started in the league, and I was your age, Tate, practice ended at the 49ers. And Walt Pourup, the video director, would get out of the tower. He would get in his car and he would drive from Redwood City to Berkeley, California. Mm. And he would process that tape. And then little Roy Gilbert, who's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated a couple of times, carrying Bill Walsh off. Nobody knows who Roy is, yeah. right? Roy would drive to Berkeley, pick up the tape and bring it back. Now, you know, this whole process, we didn't get the tape back till 11 o'clock at night. So the coaches went home and they came in the morning and started watching. So the chances of you developing players and talent or schemes, really hard to do during the season and even in the offseason. And speaking of schematics, we're going to talk about... Let's go. Yeah, so I the, set that up. All right? that, that was, was beautiful. a long setup. No, no, I loved it. It got me all locked in. Now I feel like I want to I talk about some I was teaching history lesson. Yeah, it was good. I, I learned a lot. I hope the listeners have learned a lot. And uh, if you're ready for this, Lombardi, running I, into... I am really ready for it. We're going to... We're just going to get into some of these head coaches that really matter, right? And- well, I think they do matter. I think <laughs> I think they matter tremendously. And I, I think this, I think what we've seen in the NFL is we've seen too many coaches that are just in charge of the assistants and they're not truly head coach. And to be a head coach, to be a blue chip head coach, you got to run the team. Absolutely. And a man that runs his team really well. And is probably, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, spoiler alert, I'm probably going to say he's at the top of your list. 
a man by the name of Bill Belichick. Who's Without a with, doubt. Yeah, I mean, been I mean, with the Patriots would, since 2000. Nobody's going to argue about that. I'm not going to get any any negative teats. Well, how could you have a well, Belichick on the we list? We just didn't know if if the cheating, you know, you never oh, know. Oh, will you stop? <laughs> will you stop? Will you stop? Such a millennial. I love it. Anyway, I, here's the, to me, the top five coaches it, it are Belichick, yep. Pete Carroll, yep. Andy Reid, yep. Mike McCarthy, and Mike Tomlin. Hmm. I, I think the unsung hero here is really Mike McCarthy. And you really break down these Packer teams. And, and I give McCarthy crap about his offense not being very um, scheme-oriented, not being very explosive in terms of creativity. But I think McCarthy does a great job in this sense. First of all, of all the guys who have been to Super Bowl, he has more wins than any of them. He has 114 wins. All right, The next guy is, is Mike Tomlin at 103. Yep. McCarthy does a great job. He keeps his mouth shut. He's really loyal to the Packer program. He never bitches about players not playing or he doesn't have depth. I mean, look, he puts Ty Montgomery in the backfield. Next thing you know, he's developed the running back. Yep. So I, I think he doesn't get enough credit. Do I think he's a great strategist on game day? Perhaps not, but I think he's truly a great head coach, and that's why I have him as a blue chip. And I think a lot of the time with McCarthy, right, he gets the, uh, well, he had Favre, then he had Rodgers. Right. There are great coaches that had Joe Montana that didn't make eight straight playoffs. Right. And, I, mean, I mean, he, he goes to the playoffs got, every year. The guy's got 114 wins. He's won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went into Dallas. He beat Dallas last year. You got to give him, look, you got to give him something for that. You know, people give me crap about the video about Jason Garrett using Bruce Springsteen. Hey, Jason, Jason Garrett has to prove he can beat somebody. I mean, at some point, he's going to have to prove he can win a couple games where he shows that he's the head coach, not just standing there clapping. Yeah, and then we're talking about another guy that's in the top five that a lot of people probably will get ruffled a little bit, and that's Andy Reid. Yeah. He, I, he's a guy that we all don't know about his time management. He gets made fun of right. all the time. But Andy Reid's 173 wins. I mean, the guy's right. over 600 winning percentage in his career. I mean, he's almost like the new Marty, Marty Schottenheimer in a certain sense where he is a guy that wins, but in the playoffs it just seems that it doesn't work yeah. out for whatever reason. You know, and I mean, he does a tremendous job coaching the team. His teams are always ready to play. They get better as the season goes on. I think you could see that with his Kansas City teams. I think he's creative offensively. He's taken bad quarterbacks like Alex Smith. He's made them into good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's got 173 wins. I think once Andy, he's been to a Super Bowl, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but he's been to a lot of conference championship games. He's, to me, a blue... If there ever was a blue chip coach, he's truly a head coach. He runs his team. His team respects him. You, you can't not really think he... I mean, I, look, I make fun of him. I think he should outsource his game management to India. I think there's no doubt about that. He should have somebody call that, you know, do that 1-800 number thing, but... I think Andy Reid's a hell of a coach. And let's talk about some of the coaches that have won Super Bowls that aren't quite in that class. And one of those guys is John Harbaugh. Just got an extension. Yep. And I think it's important for fans to know the extension for John Harbaugh. So every fan understands this. Most coaching contracts. Now, Kyle Shanahan this year was an exception. But the way the NFL does their coaching contracts, and because you really don't have much leverage, perhaps Belichick and Pete Carroll's isn't like this, but for the most part, there's offset language in the contract. So if they get rid of you, if they fire you, and you go to say you you have a five-year contract with the Baltimore Ravens and you get fired, and you have four years left on the deal, and you go take the job at Notre Dame, okay, then Notre Dame, whatever Notre Dame pays you is offset from your Baltimore salary. Mm-hmm. That's called offset language. So John got the extension for 2019. I think the key component here is, does he have offset language in it? Because if he does, I don't think really the owner of the Ravens did any anything major because John Harbaugh is going to work. I mean, John Harbaugh, if he lost his job in Baltimore, he'd replace it within an hour. Yep. So 
it's really to me, it's a, kind of a, a PR move, not a, really a true extension. Yeah, and Ozzie Newsom knows that. I think it's more one of the just to they send a signal the that Hardball is right. still our right. guy. I think he wanted to give him clout in front of the team. Look, the guy's got a hundred and what's he got? A hundred and he's got eighty-five wins. He's won a Super Bowl. I think the last three years are thirty-one and thirty-three. I think that's the concern. But he's close to making the list. I think if John could ever get his offense right, if he had the right coordinator offensively, I think he would be a blue chip coach. Another guy that's close, he took a team in his sophomore season to the Super Bowl. A lot of people give him credit for that Seahawks defense, Dan Quinn. Is he one of those guys that has snuck up in that red chip group, or is he? Or is, is it a wait-and-see approach with someone that young? I think there's a bunch young? of guys that are more wait-and-see. I think, you know, Sean Payton is a guy that I thought would have easily put him in a blue-chip category, mm-hmm. but I think he the last couple of years defensively he hasn't been able to get it straight. I think Dan Quinn's got to prove, and I think he could prove it very easily, but can he overcome the offset, offset the loss of, 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 of Kyle Shanahan? I think this is going to be a true test for Atlanta. I don't think people really understand the difference between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Sarkeesian. I know PR-wise that Sark is more media-friendly and more popular than Kyle Shanahan was, but in terms of football coaching and strategist, I don't think that's a close one. I really don't. And talking about long-tenured head coaches in the NFL, we don't see a lot of guys like Belichick that have been the entire 21st century. He's been with the New England Patriots, which is crazy to say. But Marvin Lewis has been with the Cincinnati Bengals since 2003. It feels like every offseason a lot of people rumble around, are we going to let this guy go or is he going to keep riding this thing out with the Bengals? Is he one of those guys that he's just been there so long that he gets up in a different class of coaches? Hey, you know, I think if Marvin could win a playoff game, you know, he's got 118 wins. And yeah. I, I think what Marvin doesn't get enough credit for right now, I was just telling this to a coach I just talked to on the phone before we started this. The Bengals, when I first started in the league, they were probably the most dysfunctional franchise in football mm-hmm. because of how they, they ran it old school, right? They were like an old school franchise, the mom and pop operation. And today, as I was telling this coach, they're normal now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more abnormal teams. And I think that's really, when you look at them, we had a saying, and and Bill Walsh used to tell me this all the time, you have to be one of the eight. Really, there's only eight teams competing for a Super Bowl. The Patriots, Seattle, Kansas City, the Giants, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Minnesota, maybe Arizona would sneak in there. Those 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 are the eight or nine teams. To me, the most important thing is to compete every year. And when you look at it, I think the Bengals have come now as a normal team. I know that sounds strange to people, but they're really normal because they don't have to fight the the rookie pool. They used to have guys hold out all the time, right? They don't have to fight that anymore. And they have a reputation for being cheap, and they don't pay all the way to the minimum, but they have a really good team. And you start looking at those guys that have hung around that Bengals team, or, you know, they have a pillar with AJ Green. You know, they had Whitworth there. They had all these guys that right. were just, that just seemed to keep everything, you know, on the same path, regardless of if it's Hugh Jackson or whatever, whatever yeah, coordinator is coming bothersome. in. You're yeah. right. No, nothing bothers him because I think Mike Brown is a pillar. When he wants to trade a player, he trades a player. When he want, doesn't want to sign him, he doesn't let outside forces influence him. Mm. Unlike the, the owner north of there, Clinton Jimmy Haslam, who's always letting outside forces influence him. I just want to do a little thought experiment. So Sean Payton, right, and Mike McCarthy both take over in 2006. Right. If you look at both of them and you ask someone, a man on the street, everyone I feel like would say Sean Payton right. is the better coach. But looking at this, you know, we have McCarthy as a blue chip guy, Sean Payton as a red chip guy. That that difference between those guys, I mean, wh- why is the perception so different than the reality? Why does McCarthy not get as much credit? Because, is it that quarterback? Conundrum? Yeah, because he's got the quarterback. But, I mean, Sean's had Drew Brees, but yeah. McCarthy's teams are tough. Mm-hmm. I think where Sean has lost a little bit is a little bit of the toughness. They haven't been able to fix their defense since the, really since the, the bounty gate. And the toughness of the team, and I think this year they're going to be much improved. And I think in terms of you wanted a play caller, which kind of segues into this, some of these teams like, like New Orleans – 
the offensive coordinator is really Sean Payton. I mean, mm-hmm. he runs the direction of the team. So Pete like, Carmichael's not going to be calling all those shots. Every right. Game. But but to me, when you look at the Saints, so you have really you have a redhead coach, but you have a blue offensive coordinator because even though Carmichael's setting it up, Sean Payton's running it. I got you. And just one more guy though on that list that could be a blue chip coach, Mike Zimmer, who was a former defensive co- right. coordinator with the Bengals, done great stuff with the Vikings. Could he be one of those guys? I mean, I if he so. has a year, I mean, we saw the Vikings last year start out so hot, and then they kind of, you know, I think he, what he's twenty six and twenty one right now. But mm-hmm. I think if you look at him, I think he's got a chance to improve and move up. And I think certainly he would be when we talk about defense coordinators, his defense is going to be in the top five there. Absolutely. And let's uh, let's pivot to talking about the offensive coordinators uh, and some of those top guys. Obviously, everyone remembers Kyle Shanahan from right. last year. He just kept gunning in the Super Bowl, but people forget how amazing of a season he had with the Falcons. Just looking at the offensive coordinator position, who are your guys there? Well, I, I think this. I think there's a couple, most, couple of them are head coaches, but I think when you break it down, Kyle Shanahan, to me, is close to being the best offensive coordinator in football. Mm-hmm. I think he does things that are very hard to defend. I think he's creative and talented. I think Josh McDaniels is really creative and talented. Whether he becomes a head coach or not, that's up to him. Mm-hmm. Scott Lenhan at the Dallas Cowboys, I think he does a really good job. He's creative. I think they've really run the right scheme. I think Adam Gase is another up-and-coming coach. I think Adam Gase is a coordinator on this list, really would be up-and-coming because he does a really good job of scheming things. And then I put Sean Payton and Andy Reid kind of like they're the head, the coordinators of their team. They're not listed as titles, but they really run their offense, and they call their plays. One of the guys that you did mention that I wanted to say that was a head coach last year, but now is back to be a coordinator is Mike McCoy. We remember right. McCoy with the Super Bowl winning team with the Broncos, goes to the Chargers, comes back to the Chargers, has a, lo- a much larger task without Peyton Manning being there. But I feel like he's one of those guys that could class up in that blue chip category. I, I think Mike is a good coach. I think he's in the right role. I think leadership and being demanding and I think being the head of uh, being the head coach, not just in charge of the assistants, I think that's a challenge for Mike. I think he's in the right role. I think this will help him. It's going to be a challenge in Denver with Trevor Simeon, and he's going to have to kind of find an offense that's going to suit suit what they can do with their skill set. I think Denver is offensively going to be very challenged. Talking just about the west side of the country in general, what about Daryl Bevel with the the Seahawks? I mean, he kind of had to figure out a scheme. Not to say that Russell Wilson needs you know to have a scheme built for him or, or anything. He's a great quarterback on his own right, but being able to figure out a way to maximize Russell Wilson's skills is yeah, obviously no. A thing. I think you know, and he's a West Coast guy. He he runs a very basic West Coast thing. I think he gets a lot of help from Tom Cable as the offensive line coach. Who I've great Raiders it. coach. Great eight, Raider coach. 500. Yeah. You know, you know, look, you get 800 at the Raiders. Now. I know that I mean, was a great season. A lot of people underrate Tom Cable. Every time I see him on the sideline, I'm you, very you, happy. You for go him. eight and eight at the Raiders. You've achieved something without, without down your throat. Nobody really understands what that like, you, you know, like all these people that, you know, make fun of you on Twitter or try to try to antagonize you, you know, you answer the phone call from Al Davis every morning. That's like sets the bar. Like everything else did that's like easy, right? So anyway, I, I think that Bevel does a good job. I think Bevel's needs to come back a little bit to what they were. We mm-hmm. talked about this before on the podcast. They need to be an outside zone team that fits in a cable. I think he'll be that this year. I think Russell Wilson will have his best season. I, I am uh, I'm on board the Russell Wilson train and the comeback train. Um, just one more name. I just have to put it out there. The best on. name in football, Jim Bob Cooter the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator. He made Matt Stafford the richest man in football. Yeah, Matt Stafford, to me, he's got a great PR machine because really, we, we Bill Simmons and I talked about this. I mean, if you look at Matt Stafford's numbers to Andy Dalton numbers, mm. uh, there's, they're really Andy Dalton. And people say, well, you can't compare win-loss records for quarterbacks. It's really not a way to do it. Stop. Yeah, it is. Like, like why are they the highest-paid players on the team? 
Like if you put Brett Favre in his prime on some bad team, you don't think that bad team would win? They would. They would win, right? So this whole notion that you can't put the quarterback's record up there, it blows me away. Mm. That's why they're paid the most. They make the team better. They make everybody else better. Peyton Manning's putting people in the Hall of Fame, okay? Looking at you, Jeff, Saturday. (laughs) He's putting people in the Hall of Fame, right? Absolutely. And so, like, that's because he's a great quarterback. So don't tell me don't put their one loss. Oh, okay? If you do that, then Bill Polian was 1-15 without him. Mm. Okay? So don't tell me that the quarterback's one-loss record doesn't matter. And let's talk about just a couple other new guys. Rick Dennison goes to the Bills. I like uh, Dennison as a really good line coach. I think he's a really good. I think he's in the top five line coaches in the league, can run the football effectively. It's going to be interesting how they throw the football in Buffalo because Dennison's an offensive line. He's a linebacker by trade mm-hmm. who became an offensive line coach. He's an outside zone run guy. I think he's a really good coach. I don't know if how he's going to call the game. And the peak period of Dennison, for people that don't know, he was with the Texans with Arian Foster in some of right. those great years, like t- 2010, 2012, right. that and whole who was, area. Who was the quarterback coach at that time? Kyle Shanahan. Yep. And that was a great time. I'm sorry to bring that up for uh, all those Houston fans out there. And speaking of Houston, we we want to say that we are thinking about yeah, Houston this week. I got to say this. I've never seen more. Uh, I've never seen devastation like I've seen in Houston. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, they had a picture of a freeway and I thought it was the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. I mean, our hearts go out to him, and and, and JJ Watt raising the, the going I think for the best thing, now. Look, the best yep. thing that happened was once Houston found out that they could get home from mm. Dallas, they were going to go home and come back, and it's just to be with their families. And I think the league did the smart thing, letting them. Why play this meaningless game? That was great. It was great. Uh, thinking of you, Houston. Uh, any more offensive coordinators that are on no, your mind I, right now that you know, are like, in this group? Like uh, I think Scott Lenahan was maybe not a great head coach, but I think he's a great coordinator. I think sometimes these guys get in the right jobs and they really shine. All right, it's taking on the offensive side of the football. Let's go to uh, the big boys up front. Let's yeah. talk about the offensive line. What are the, what are some of the coaches? I have to say, off the top, Tony Sperano, still my favorite offensive line coach. Yeah, in football. wears the shades all the time there He's on amazing. the sidelines. Got an eye problem. I, I think Tony's a good coach. He's in a red in my group. These guys here, to me, should be the highest paid coaches in football. Mm-hmm. They coach five players, right? So all five players are the most important players. And if they can take a young player, say they take a – fourth or fifth or sixth round pick and turn him into a four-year star. Like, okay, Dante Skarnecki, blue chip offensive line coach, takes Shaq Mason, a fourth round pick from Georgia Tech, and turns him into a really good starter. Yep. Okay, that's like that's an unbelievable contract for the Patriots to have for four years. Like the value of these coaches, these O-line coaches, should be in the two to $3 million a year range. They're really that good. The best one to me is Bill Callahan. I saw him as a head coach. I think he was a really good coach. I think he did a great job as the Raider head coach. He got a raw deal towards at the, in the second season. But I think he's really what makes the Redskins offense go. Everybody wants to talk about Sean McVay and all the things he did. To me, without Bill Callahan there, the Redskins don't operate. And when you watch that Redskins team, I mean, Kirk, like you can see it. They're, you see it. it. They're very similar. It's when you watch Cowboys, it's almost the same thing. It just looks like a different class of blocking. It just it, looks a lot cleaner. They play with great pad level. He gets a lot out of his players. He knows how to run the football. I think he's really good. I think the other guy who's outstanding, and he's rebuilt. Really, this has been the most critical hire that the Pittsburgh Steelers have had in a few years is Mike Munchak. Mm. Loses his job as a Tennessee head coach. He goes Great to offensive Pittsburgh. lineman for the Titans before. Great offensive lineman for the t- Oilers. Goes back yeah. to the Oilers days in Houston, but this guy here has turned the, 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 the Pittsburgh offensive line into really a bunch of scrap parts into a really good offensive line. I think he's one of the coaches of the year. Chris Forrester at Miami. Mm-hmm. So here, here's Miami. You want to know why Miami's good on offense? They got a really good head coach, young head coach who's maybe not blue chip. They got a really good coordinator, and then they got a really good line coach. 
Chris Forrester, that's why they run the football so effectively. Oh, by the way, he was in Washington with the Shanahan's when they could run the football. I think he's really good. I think Russ Grimm's kind of a crusty old coach at Tennessee. He's going to have to prove he's a blue-chip coach. And I think we talked about Cable's my fifth guy. I think he's going to have to prove it. Who do you have? I have uh, Mike Solari with the Giants. I like Mike. Yeah. Mike goes back a long way. I think Mike's got his hands full this year. I think Mike is not in this blue kip category. I think Mike's going to have to prove it, especially coaching Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart and seeing if he can get something out of both those guys. It's always tough to coach a number one pick. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, just it's tough to coach Eric Flowers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to put that all all the number one picks out there. Uh, another guy, Frank Pollock, just for the Cowboys. Just I, to I think credit. I think yeah. Pollock's a really a rising star. I think he's a red player, and I think that's another reason why Dallas is good because they have a really good coordinator and a really good line coach, and, and can, they have really good talent in their offensive line. But you know, it's one thing to have talent, but these line coaches develop the talent. You know, it's one thing to get a really good player; it's another thing to develop them. And I think that's where it really matters. You know. Grim, I don't have in this category. I have Cable, but you know, like when you Chance Warmack didn't really develop. Uh, you know, the the guy that I think the Bears line coach, um, Jim Washburn's son, Jeremiah Washburn, I think is really one of the really good line young line coaches. He lost his job in Detroit, got fired. Now he's in Chicago. I think he's a rising star in the league, and I think he'll make the Bears offensive line much better this year. Good for you, Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, one other name I had on there was uh, Jeff Stoutland, too, with the Eagles. I think he does a good job. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Now, I didn't mention Doug Peterson as the top. Well, that's a whole other story. Watch the video. Did uh, you see the video? Do you yet. even know who Roy Rubin is? No. Okay, you need to watch the video. I'll watch the video. I'll get right. locked in. Uh, should we switch to the other side of the ball? or should we? Is there any lasting thoughts for the just hiring an offensive coordinator, an offensive line coach? Is there something that you're looking for from those guys? I mean, like a Munchak, a former offensive lineman. I or, think, you know, when I was in, before I got fired in Cleveland, we were talking about my hiring Mike Munchak as the offensive line coach. If we would have been able to do that, we, we didn't have a head coach at the time. Talk to Mike a lot. I think that's one of the most important hires you're going to make. I think he can turn your team around. When I was in Cleveland with Belichick, uh, we had a, a line coach that we inherited, that Bill inherited from the prior staff. And, you know, he was an older kind of coach, good man, just wasn't what he wanted. When we brought Kirk Ferenson to be mm-hmm. the line coach, I became a better line scout and the team became better. I think these guys, you don't realize the development that these guys give you. Now, sometimes they kind of go off on the deep end where they try to develop these guys that have no chance of playing and you got to reel them back in. But for the most part, they make the biggest difference. The, the coordinator of the offensive defense and the defensive line, huge, huge to whether you're going to be successful or not. Mike Munchak and Joe Thomas would have been something serious. It would have been good. It would have given them, it would have, that's would have been like to me, that's one of those times where no matter who your head coach is, if you could hire Mike Munchak, you just hire him. Absolutely. Well, that's a good life lesson. And Mike Munchak now has a job, and it seems like people are listening to you, Lombardi. Yeah. Before we get to the defensive side of the football, I want to take a quick break to let you know about NFL Game Pass. Every throw, every catch, every two-minute drill, every fourth and inches. If it's NFL football and it happened, NFL Game Pass has got it. My favorite game of the last season, I've been telling you guys this for the past few weeks, was when the Panthers played the Falcons in Week 3 last year. I can replay the game from every angle with NFL Game Pass, even though I probably did not want to. But whatever your favorite game is, NFL Game Pass has got it. Better yet, they've got you covered for this year's action, too. All the live, out-of-market preseason games got it. Full game replays? Yep. Condensed games? with all the action packed into 45 minutes? Absolutely. Exclusive coaches film from the All-22? That's for sure. Like I said, if it's NFL football and it happened, NFL Game Pass has got it. Best of all, you can kick off the 2017 NFL season with a free NFL Game Pass trial. Sign up now at NFL.com slash The Ringer. That's NFL.com slash The Ringer. Back to the podcast. 
Let's flip to the other side of the ball and let's talk about the defense and uh, the defensive coordinators that are in your blue chip group. Who are those guys? Well, I think Wade definitely is. And I think Wade, Wade Phillips has done a great job of reinventing himself a little bit. There was a time where Wade was a little bit generic and a little bland. And I think over when we played him in with six, the Dallas Cowboys, with the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, he, Wade's not a head coach. He's a really good coordinator. And I think the players play really hard for him. And I think he's done a really good job of matching up and making the offense play left-handed. I, I, I can remember a time when Jim Schaffner became the head coach of the Cleveland Browns right before Belichick. He was the interim coach, and he would always say about Bill Belichick, he makes you play left-handed. Mm-hmm. And I think good defensive coordinators make you play left-handed. And Wade is one of those kind of guys. He makes you play left-handed. He takes away what you want to do, you know, what your offense is, and then he makes you execute in a different way. And he's done it with more diversity. This year, with more scheme in the last couple of years, he's done it with more creativity, and his players respond. And if people want a reference for that, just watch the Super Bowl 50 with Cam Newton, where they took away the run game with Jonathan Stewart early on, and they were like, Cam, it's in your hands. Derek Wolf and Von Miller basically decided it's right. in his hands. And, and, and they took it there. away by scheme and their their ability to to, blitz, to run blitz formations. They did it, and not just by lining up player versus player. That, and they did it against us. Mm-hmm. Look, when we played him in 16, when I was at the Patriots, we lined up in a spread formation and he refused to get anything out. He would go to whether we were in two tight ends or three receivers. He stayed in his nickel because he dared us to run the ball and he knew we couldn't because he had, he had ways to stop the run out of our base offense against his nickel. To me, I, my hat's off to him. And my next guy is Romeo Cornell. Mm. You talk about one of the best third down call play callers in football. The other thing too, tape, these defensive coordinators, they get no recognition for being a great play caller. Like, all we talk about all the time is, oh, the offensive coordinator, what a great play call, what a great play call. Well, at some point, the defensive coordinator calls plays too, right? Yeah. Like, Rack is a really good third. That's why they're so good on third down with the red zone, uh, third down red, uh, third down pass defense, because he's a good play caller. Wade Phillips is a good play caller. Those guys make the right call at the right time, and when the quarterback throws the ball out of bounds, they just say, oh, the punt team comes on the field, right? That's a huge, great play call by the defense. Doesn't get enough recognition. Third guy, I think Mike Smith. He's very bland, very basic, but they play really good. The name Mike Smith is perfect for the man, Mike Smith. Yeah, it's they're bland, they're basic, but he plays really good. I think their defense is the best. It was the best third down defense in football last year. He, they're, they're fast, they fly to the ball, they play smart, and they play fast because they don't have too much to think about. He's great on hard knocks, too, for people that haven't been yeah, watching. Again, I haven't watched, but I'm sure he is. He's he great. may not be a head coach, but I think he's a really good He's having a lot of fun. Uh, Rob Marinelli's another guy. Very simple scheme. Players play hard for him. The key's really good. And then my fifth guy is Steve Spagnola. I think Steve Spagnola, even though two years ago I would have never had Steve on the list, I thought he was way too uh, over the top with the scheme. But in the last two years with the Giants improved the personnel, I think he's improved his game too. One guy that you didn't have on your list that I just want to ask you about, Vic Fangio with the Bears. He kind of inherited a weird group. A lot of they actually the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan tried to bring him back uh to San Francisco. Yeah. And he blocked it to stay with Chicago. He's got a new kind of defense. He's really likes Leonard Floyd. Um you know, I, I think Fangio is one of those guys that could class up into that group. I, I think he's a really good coach. I think he, Matt Patricia, I think Bob Sutton at Kansas City, I think all those mm-hmm. guys belong in the next category. And of course, you know, when you're talking about like the Here's Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer's in this category, too. Minnesota would be in the top five of defense coordinators on the grading system because Zimmer's really helping helping call the defense as well. So when you have that combination, he's high ranked up there, too. But I think Fangio's a really good coach. I think Fangio would have been a really good 
they wanted to keep him in San Francisco before he left to go to Chicago, mm-hmm. and they couldn't do it. And I think that became a problem. Absolutely. And just talking about some of these old defensive coordinators, like the name, the staple names. When someone brings up a defensive coordinator, they go, "Oh, you mean Dom Capers? Right. You mean Dick LeBeau? Those guys are still around. I mean, right. are, have they just kind of fallen by the wayside well, a little bit, I, and kind I, of I fallen think, off? I think, I think." Capers and LeBeau are still really good coaches. I think they're in the next category. I think that LeBeau's scheme, people have caught on to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's become a little bit more difficult. But I, I would never underestimate Dick LeBeau. I think he's a really good coach, but I think his schemes tend to be a little bit outdated. He's trying to cover up some – He's you know, the curly in the boat theory, you know, where curly sees a, a hole in the boat. So he makes another hole in the boat to let the water from the first hole out. That's a little bit about Pittsburgh. I trying to kind of blend it together. Mike Tomlin, I didn't put him on this list as a top five, even though I have him as a blue chip uh, head coach, but defensively, I think they got a lot to prove yet. And I think that Keith Butler is doing a better job, but they have a lot to prove defensively yet. And that Titans team with LeBeau, I mean, he gets those guys all together kind of to buy in last year it was a better defense did well against the run. Could he, I mean, could there be some sort of resurgence? I'm not saying that. He, well, they're always going to do good against the yeah. run because they're going to be committed to playing an eight-man front, and they're going to run blitz you, and they're going to do a lot of things to stop you, and they're going to force the ball. But the key is going to be, can he create? The key to the Pittsburgh defense under LeBeau, that style of defense is creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. And to create turnovers, you've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback, and you have to have corners that can read the quarterback. Now, Adoree Jackson might be that guy. But Logan Ryan, if they gets outside in the corner, and he's playing outside the corner, People are going to go after him because they're worried about whether he can run or not. So I think he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. Just looking at other guys, what about uh, Chris Richard with the Seahawks? Does he get credit for that, or is it one of those things? I think where... it's, I think Chris Richard has basically taken the menu from Pete Carroll, who mm-hmm. took it from Dan Dan Quinn, passed it just down from one coordinator to the next. It was, first it was Gus Bradley, then it was Dan Quinn, and now it's Keith R- So to me, it's Pete's defense, and Pete's defense hasn't changed since 1985. Sort of like Monty Kiffin. That's that. That was my right. like uh, well, that, Hall no. of Fame could be in this class no matter what. He's always around. Well, Monty, that, Kiffin. Ma- Monty Kiffin's defense is really what they do in Seattle. That's Monty's original defense. Then when he went to Tampa, he changed it. And Tampa two is really a cover three. People don't understand this, but Tampa two is a cover three defense because the Mike linebackers in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. It's just cloud. It's three cloud as opposed to Tampa two. But that's a whole other conversation. I just, I'm just glad we mentioned Monty Kiffin. I, like I think Monty. he deserved it. I think Monty does too. He's earned We've it. We mentioned Lane and Monty. This is a family thing. Yeah, it's basically a Kiffin podcast <laughs> at this point. I, I'll Love be it. sure to host those two. That'll be fun. Uh, uh, should we move on to the defensive line coaches? Those Absolutely. guys are probably even more important than uh, coordinators at times just because they have to deal with pass rush, You know, being able to get in the trenches and make some damage. Uh, for, when you look at those guys, who are your guys at the top All of the right, list? So when you're a D-line coach in the NFL, basically you're a line tamer because yep. defensive line – Defense alignment are not really, you know, they're they're hard to coach. I mean, they're wired. They kind of they want to go out. They want to play. You got to get them, and you got to get. You need a top hat. You need to be able to control them. They're going to play, and and if you can do it, where you're not doing it, where you're just kissing their ass, and you can demand from them, like Jim Washburn was a really good D line coach. I think Andre Patterson up at the Minnesota. I think this is a lot from Zimmer, but. Cincinnati and Minnesota, when Zimmer's been the head coach, has always taken these third, fourth round underachiever guys like Danielle Hunter, mm-hmm. third round pick for Minnesota. 
out of LSU, really a talented player. They've gotten him to be a blue chip. I mean, Daniel Hunter's a really good player. Patterson deserves a lot of credit for what they've done there. Linville Joseph, they've done a good job with the defensive line there. I think Thomas Sulo in, in now in Washington. Yeah, with the Redskins. I think he yep. was a really – that's what he was. He's a D-line coach. That's what he can do. You know, Mike Turkovic in Green Bay, I think he's a really good – I think Washington's a really good defensive line coach. You know, I, I think Joe Cullen in Baltimore, it's a different style of run. It's a different style than what they're used to, but I also think he's a good D-line coach. But these guys here, when you see the D-line, they've got to play at a high level and they've got to play consistently. And these players sometimes aren't the easiest guys to motivate or to get them to play consistently. Yeah. They, even Brian Cox came out and said he thought Eric Washington was probably the best I uh, think he's a blue chip player. in football. Yeah, I think he really is. Absolutely. Uh, and another guy, Bill Collar with uh, the Broncos. It'll be interesting what Collar, what, what Bill can do. Bill's always had a good reputation around the league. I think a lot of it is, is you know, sometimes it's hard to always be a jerk. And, and the D-line coach got to be a jerk. I mean, you got to really, it's hard to get those guys to go. That's why Marinelli was so good. Again, Dallas is good here because Marinelli helps be the D-line coach as well. That's what he does. Even when he was the head coach of the Detroit Lions, Marinelli sat in the defensive line meeting rooms. So that's why their defensive line plays and gets better as the year goes on. Yeah, I was trying to give like a, an example of what you're dealing with a defensive line coach, and the best person that came to my mind was Chris Jenkins. It could He could be this absolute, just oh, dominate yeah. any defensive. Like, you know, if you put him on a goal line set, Chris Jenkins is going to absolutely dominate. But sometimes if it's practice, he might just be like, from, from hard knocks from 2010 when he was on the Jets, he was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to be out there today. That's the way he was at Maryland. Yeah. I mean, at Maryland, I mean, he, he should have been. With the Panthers, he's just always been like he that. He should have been a first-round pick. I mean, the guy had incredible talent. <laughs> but when you got it all the time, I don't know. Grady Jackson was a great player at the Raiders. He was a sixth-round pick. He had incredible talent. He could have been as good as any defensive lineman I've ever been around. He just didn't give it to you all the time. Yeah, Albert Hainsworth. Yeah, I mean, there's another perfect example. Once Hainsworth got paid, it was over. Yeah, when he left the Titans. and. Uh, yeah. Bringing back up Washington, of course. Um, just from a defensive line standpoint and, and just how these coaches are able to impact them, is there something that you looked at when you were a GM, like for hiring those guys? Or did, did you want someone that played defensive line or did you just I mean, want someone that had a voice? I mean, it would be great, but I, I think you need a jerk. I think you really need a lion tamer. That's I think what it need, seems like. You need somebody who's going to go in there and demand from the players, somebody who's a Marine. Mm-hmm. I think you need a Marine-type guy who's going to go in there and lead the troops because if your D-line plays at a high level, and he can develop players. Again, these, this position, these two, the O-line, D-line, they're coaching four or five players that impact the game on a consistent basis. They should be the highest paid coaches along with the coordinators. Absolutely. And I just want to bring this up. Jim Topsula does not have a mustache anymore. So. Oh, he didn't? I haven't seen a picture of that. No, yeah, yeah. He, he looks shaved like a, it. He looks like know, a different guy. As we're sitting here, we have the Ron Jeremy book over there. Thomas Sula with the mustache looked like a bad porn, porn, 70s porn star. Yeah, he did yeah, it well, yeah. but uh, it's all gone. Yeah. He's cleaned himself up in uh, Washington, D.C. He's in the nation's capital, so he had to clean it up. I'm, I'm sure. All right, Lombardi, before we move on, I want to point out that for over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home to NFL Sunday Ticket, the only way to get every live game every Sunday. And that's good news for you, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or are an enrolled college student, now you can get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you are eligible, go online today to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live use promo code ringer at checkout to save 15 percent. again that's nfl sunday ticket.tv promo code ringer and while we're here 
It's not just watching at home, people. You got to go to the game sometimes. And buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing. But there is a better and simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. With the seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals for you. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available also. Best of all, my listeners, yes, that's you, get $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app today. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code RINGERNFL. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNFL today. Okay, back to the podcast. And we're going to go to the third phase of the game. One of my favorite phases, of course, special teams. And I wanted to say this is the Mike Westoff Award. He's probably the most <laughs> famous special teams coach that people can think of just from, you know, some of the speeches he gave, Owen Hard Knocks. And uh, one of my favorite lines from Mike, I just want to give him the credit, was discouragement is the devil's best weapon, which I feel like is a good <laughs> thing to say in football. Um, special teams coaches. The last special teams coach to get hired in the last decade was John Harbaugh. We haven't seen a lot of those guys make the jump from special teams to head coaches. But what is that group for you? To you me, it sets the culture coaches? of the organization. I think your special teams coach has to – and I wrote this in my book, special teams coach has to be your best player per pro personnel director. He's got to be able to see talent, identify talent, and develop talent. Mm-hmm. Really important. Okay? And then he's also got to be able to adhere to the culture because you get your toughness from your special teams as a full team. You cover kicks, you cover punts, your toughness comes. And if you have a tough, demanding special teams coach, like I'll give you the perfect example. Like Dave Phipp, he was hired by Chip Kelly. They were really good in the kicking game in Philadelphia because Chip Kelly wanted to develop the culture of the Eagles through the kicking game. Okay. And Phipp did a marvelous job. Now, since Howie Roseman's taken over and D- Doug Peterson's taken over, they don't see the kicking game as giving them culture. They don't even see culture, period. They don't really care about culture. And you lose a little bit. That doesn't make FIP a less coach, but they'll start to get rid of these special teams guys and it'll affect their team. But I think FIP's really good. I think Brian Schneider in Seattle's really good. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Judge at New England, because New England stresses the culture there. I think he's really good. I think Brad Seely, a former coach of the Raiders, mm-hmm. uh, at the Raiders of the Patriots, he's really good. And Dave Taub is really good too. Is it Tobe or Tobe? Dave Tobe, yeah, Tobe, with Tobe. the Chiefs. And Tobe's interviewed for head coaching jobs. Now, whether he can get one or not, I don't know. But to me, those guys, they set the culture of your organization. If you get a really good one there, one that can evaluate, because what fans don't understand is they have to evaluate the players coming in, but they also evaluate the matchups on each team. So can you put your, can this left tackle block that guy? Can this right tackle block this person? Or can this gunner do this? And they got to be able to see talent and develop talent. Really challenging job. And it's really important to the overall culture of the team. It creates a culture that can transcend itself to the rest, the other part of the team. It can also just give people a chance. I mean, we, we told that Terrell Davis story a couple of right. times just about him coming on special teams. And you've seen it, you know, a lot of, a lot of those guys will, special teams coaches will watch the defense or watch the offense and see re- receivers that are left to the side or defensive backs left to the side and they'll pull them over and almost re-energize them. It's like, well, you're going to be my best player. You're going to be my gunner on special teams and you have a new position and people right. buy in and it it changes right. how everyone feels about it. And I think the way to do it, though, Tate, is you can't you can't make special teams non like at the Raiders. Al Davis wouldn't let certain players on special teams. He didn't want to play them, and you see it in Philadelphia now. They don't want certain guys playing special teams. Wrong. 
to wait to, if you want your team to be all in, then everybody's got to be all in. They, mm-hmm. they should play some part, some form of the kicking game to help your team. That develops the all in mentality. And when you have a coach, a special teams coach who's demanding it, then I think it really helps your team and you build your culture that way. And just one other name I had on my list was Joe Marciano with the Lions. Yeah. Uh, as a, and Joe's been around a long time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I think Joe's done a good job. And, and a lot of these guys have done a good job. Uh, you know, it's just a question of how the organization sees it. Sometimes the special teams coach is limited. You know, like most of the West Coast coaches, they just want clean exchanges for the for special teams. Whereas in New England, there's a lot of practice. You'd be shocked how much practice time's going on. You'd been shocked if Chip Kelly, how much practice time he was doing. That's why they were so good. And that's why he was trying to change the culture in Philadelphia, but they didn't let him do it. And people don't understand that scheme plays a role in oh, special teams. Role. These yeah. Days. I mean, there's audibles in special teams. There's checks, how you cover the punter, the direction he's going to punt the ball into all those things factor. And if you can control field position, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's really huge being able to control field position. And it's not just the punter and the kicker that makes special teams. It's who you have covering down the kicks. And some of these coaches, like if you were to ask some of these head coaches who the L4 and the L5 on the opponent's kickoff coverage team, they can't tell you, then that means they don't emphasize special teams. Yeah. But nobody asks them. Like Jason Garrett, who's the L4 and the L5 on the Giants' kickoff team? If he knows, God bless him. I don't think he does. I think it's four claps would be his response. There you go. Four perfect, claps. Perfect way to end this. <laughs> uh, we, didn't even miss, we didn't even mention Jason Garrett, really, when we were talking about head coaches, unfortunately. No, well, I mean, J- Jason's, you know, he's. I saw today, I posted a picture of him. He was around a bunch of Cowboy cheerleaders, so now I found out what he does. Oh, yeah, he just hangs out. Uh, so basically, oh, I'll tell you the other guy I think we missed in this whole conversation, Bruce Arians. Yeah, I think Bruce Arians. He, he was in my red chip class. He I, is a red chip. I think he's a red chip as a coordinator, and I think he's a red chip as a head coach. He's forty-one and twenty-two. I think he was. I think he's really undervalued, and I think this will be a huge year because he can get something out of quarterbacks. Another guy I had on my list that I didn't mention from a head coach was uh, Ron Rivera as well. Yeah, Ron does it. Ron has done a really good job. I think Mike Shula has done a good job being his coordinator. I think Sean McDermott did a great job. I think, and some of those young coaches that are now becoming that now are head. Co- I think Kyle Shanahan could be very quickly could become a blue coach. Even Adam Gase, who we mentioned, is often we're talking about Adam Gase. So yep. we'll see with Vance Joseph, Anthony Lynn. I think Anthony Lynn has the make to be a good coach. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Todd Bowles, I really think Todd Bowles is a really good coach. I think right now, poor Todd Bowles is in a situation to have a quarterback. And uh, just some storylines, just a little, a, f- a couple word on the streets before we get out of here. That was a, a good time, Lombardi. I just want to bring up, uh, we have some news coming out of here. The Steelers land cornerback Joe Hayden. They get him on three-year, $27 million deal. Is that, is it hard for a player, I actually had someone that tweeted this to ask this question to you. Is it hard for a player to be in a camp with the Browns, get released, then come to another team that he hasn't been there for anything and be able to play right away? Yeah, no, he's going to play right away and he's going to play and he's going to play, I think they open up against the Browns. Mm-hmm. So one thing you know, he knows the receivers of the opponents pretty well he's watched he's practiced the offense pretty good if new, england, if new england would have done this you would have been screaming <laughs> that they cheated but look i i i think joe's a really good player he's long-armed he doesn't run as well as he did in the past but his arm length makes up for it and in pittsburgh's scheme i think tomlin will get the most out of him i think you know is he worth the 27 million over three no I think that's kind of like you have to look at the contract to really see. I think Joe Hayden was happy to get out of Cleveland. I think he knew he was going to get a good deal. I think there's a lot of teams interested in him. 
and just one trade to be looking at over the weekend. A lot of people are saying that TJ Ward could be a name that's thrown right. out there. Another name that we're seeing, uh, Jermaine Curse with the Seahawks. They're obviously shopping him to see. If there's I, I think a, there's no doubt they're shopping Jermaine Coach Curse. I think Seattle feels like this is the best group of receivers they've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think they're definitely doing Lockett, that. Richardson, Williams. We talked about Matt. We talked about Dorsett at at, at Baltimore at at, at uh, Indianapolis. Colts, yep. I think they're definitely shopping him. He could land somewhere else. I think this is going to be a pretty busy weekend, Tate, in terms of teams trying to handle that. But Curse, he's over. Two million dollars. Do they still get them? Uh, I think they feel like they they got to get a better player. Jermaine Gurley at at the San Francisco 49ers. They just redid his deal. Do they trade him? I know there's been a lot of teams talking about him. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And uh, one more thing, one last story. You praised Al Davis at the start of this podcast. We're going to end it on Al Davis too. Cameron Irving gets signed by the Chiefs. You you kind of gave a, a, a hat tip to Al, Al Davis. Davis it's all Al Davis. Al Davis believed in pedigree mm-hmm. more than anything of all. He believed in the pedigree of the player. That's why he signed Jim Plunkett. That's why he would always bring in guys that were Marinovich. Marinovich it. Well, he, that was his pedigree. He made him his pedigree. That's where we kind of lost it. And I wasn't there for that. But I think that's really what he's always marveled his game after is trying to find a way to connect to the player. And the player had talent to be this high of a pick. We have to find it. Now, to me, I think where Cam's problem is this. He's not a left tackle. He's not a center. He's not a right tackle. He has to play left guard. That's where he's got to play. Mm-hmm. Whether he, they can get it out of him, I don't know. I think it's, you know, for Cleveland to give up on an offensive lineman. They have a pretty good line, so maybe they just didn't feel like carrying the salary. Cleveland's yeah. collecting picks, but at some point you got to put a good team on the field. Yeah, Cleveland is trusting the process, as they say. You know that with your Philly yeah, sports Yeah, we didn't fandom. even talk about it. You know, I took a lot of crap this week for the Jarvis Landry thing, Tate. A lot of crap. I saw that. People were coming at you. You said Jarvis Landry's on the trading block. They, they, try, well, they're they trying have. to squish it. And I think, uh, I think I'm pretty confident over time I'll be proven right on that. I think by opening of the weekend, I think there'll be some news that comes out that I'll be proven correct on. Wow. That, that's a little drop, uh, a little nugget of knowledge from Mike Lombardi to end this podcast. Uh, this has been GM Street. This has been the blue chip GM Street. We've done them all. Offense, defenses, head coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, anything you can think of, we ranked it. Uh, what are your final thoughts for the blue chippers I'm looking there? forward to the season, Tate. Happy Labor Day. Absolutely. Happy Labor Day. Enjoy it. This has been GM Street of the Ringer Podcast Network, and we'll be back soon. Thanks again to NFL Game Pass. Every throw, every catch, every fourth and inches. Whatever your favorite game is, NFL Game Pass has got it covered. Better yet, they've got you covered for this year's action, too. That includes live out-of-market preseason games, full game replays, and condensed games with all the action packed into 45 minutes. This podcast was longer than that. If it's NFL football and it happened, NFL Game Pass has got it. So kick off the 2017 NFL season with a free NFL Game Pass trial. Sign up now at NFL.com slash The Ringer. 